This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, welcome into the Voice the Colors podcast. It is almost game day. This week has flown by after the four overtime win over Memphis, and we are now previewing East Carolina and UCF. I'm your host, Stephen Igo of the Hoist the Colors podcast. I'm joined by two of my favorite guests. We got Jason Tindall, also known as Pirate Backer, on the Hoist the Colors message board, who's joined me for several podcasts this year. We also have the triumphant return of Brett Hickman. <laughs> who is now at Anderson University. He is uh, starting up that program, and I know he's been busy with that, which is why he has not been able to join us. He's also been moving his family. So uh, you've had a lot going on. Brett, we'll start with you. Uh, how are things going at Anderson as you guys uh, kick up that program? Yeah, man, it's been good. I mean, four years from uh, out of college football, so back recruiting and um, spending a lot of time exploring the uh, great state of South Carolina and talking to a lot of high school coaches here in, you know, here in the Palmetto State. And then, of course, our contacts back in North Carolina and Georgia never really been a part of recruiting a class where we have to sign so many next year will be a practice year for us. So uh, you're really starting from scratch. So just getting out and continuing to build our board, build our offer list, and try and get, you know, 60 guys here to wear the black and gold between uh, now and February, so not have probably have not been as um, involved this year on the HTC side of things outside of just your typical uh, Sunday thoughts. But look forward to getting back on and talking with you guys tonight. Yeah, and Jason, we always have our our text on game day and throughout game week, uh, us three in our group chat, and uh, it's always fascinating to get you guys' takes as coaches that y'all y'all have coached in the in the business. Y'all have done this. Y'all are familiar with the college game and the high school game. So um, I'll start with you. Let's put a bow on Memphis last week. I mean, that was, we talked about it going to the game. It was such a critical game heading into this stretch of really facing four consecutive Big 12 teams uh, next year in terms of UCF, BYU, Cincinnati, Houston – you just felt like you had to get Memphis. It came down to the final play, but the Pirates got it. Just what was your reaction coming out of that game? So it's like a tell of two halves, really, if you think about it, when it's 17 nothing in the first half. Um, you know, the, the group I sit with, I was talking to some of the dads around us and, and things like that, and I said, look, we're going to find out what kind of resolve we have right now. And um, exiting that game – um, as as agonizing as it was at times, and as frustrating as it was at times, it was, it was a nice ride home back to the Raleigh area because team, teams do not come back and win games like that and win under those circumstances unless there's something about the culture and the preparation that's involved, and also the buy-in of the players. And you could see the excitement of the players after the game, just like a big relief because everybody involved with our program knows that uh, the Navy game and, and the Tulane game. We're, we're not exactly our best efforts. We, we, we did, there's a lot of self-inflicted wounds that happen and, and errors. Um, 
and it was just nice to win a game like that. The, the, the key is, though, moving forward, Stephen, and is is how do we rebound from that and come back this Saturday night for another 7.30 ESPNU game? And, and uh, you know, we were just talking about before we started recording, uh, we, we've unfortunately at this point have not had our open week. So we've got a lot of people nicked up and banged up and tired and sore and, you know, sprains here, sprains there. Can we piece together enough effort to beat a really good at UCF team? Yeah, just being out of practice the last few weeks, and especially this week, guys. I mean, I'm not going to like name names, but there are a number of key players that are dealing with stuff that they're basically trying to keep on a pitch count, trying to work them through the week while also keeping them sharp for game day. It's part of that balance. We're about to go into game number eight without an open date. So there, there's guys that are, are are fighting through injuries. Obviously, we know the whole Naylor's injury uh, with his right shoulder, and he, he's, he's as tough as they come. We can all talk about his play, but I give him a ton of credit for what he's fought through this year. Brett, I want to ask you, this is like the – I don't know the, the, the number off the top of my head, but the fourth or fifth opponent in six games where they have extra time to recover. UCF played on Thursday night. Uh, ECU played late Saturday night. H- how much of an advantage do you feel like that gives UCF going into this game and also having a bye week already early in the season? I, I think it's huge. I think for the for the simple fact that you start getting to um, – I think people forget how big of a grind physically August is in general. And, I, you know, as a high school coach, as a head coach, I always wanted our bye after about the third or fourth game, you know, because after you go through – you know, the, the two a day, the camp grind and just um, you just start losing that newness of the season, if you will. And, and you're you're just getting into this point where you've played now. Um, this will be eight consecutive weeks on the tails of fall camp. I mean, the Knicks, the Knacks, the your depth of your your 85 starts to get tested. Plus, uh, you know, the NCAA has helped you out with the four-game redshirt rule, but the reality is is that if you've got more than 22 guys on each side of the ball that can help you play, um, you're lucky at this point. So um, it, it, it is a concern, it's, and it's a concern in spots where, where, where you're obviously even more concerned in general, you know, be in the quarterback position on offense and um you know marlon gunn has played well but there there is a precipitous drop uh or at least there's a concern when you don't have rajay available and you won't for the rest of the year so what can keaton handle you know we've, we've lost our a guy who's playing really well for us and johnson out at wide receiver but um my biggest concern is is what it's done defensively just because we've got um you know, we're just devoid right now of a team that doesn't rush the passer well, you know, when we're fully general or in general. But, um, you know, we clearly don't have what we what we want um, in terms of a loaded gun up front on uh, defense right now getting after them. So it is a concern. Yeah, and this UCF team, probably the, you know, I don't want to say the best all-around team ECU's faced at this point because I do think their schedule has been relatively weak. But still, you look at some of the numbers, 41 points per game scoring, uh, 14.3 points per game allowed. They're averaging 525 yards per game. And and I was watching the Temple game. They didn't look good early, and it was 14-13. And then by the end, of uh, the first half, they were up like four or five touchdowns. So uh, that just goes to show, you know, how how explosive they are. Just uh, either of you guys, um, have y'all watched UCF this year? And if you have, just initial takeaways. Uh, I guess we'll start with you, Brett. Uh, what are your initial takeaways from from the Knights? Yeah, just p- bits and pieces. Um, you know, I do obviously watch Gus Malzahn coach teams going back to when he was at Tulsa as the offensive coordinator in 2008. So, you know, I've got such an I've got a pretty good idea of what they're going to try and do schematically. I do know that he's always been at his best when he's at an athlete at quarterback. You know, and that goes back, of course, to uh, Cam Newton at Auburn, Nick Marshall at Auburn, um, and and John Reese Plumley. I don't think people really know the whole story with him, but he was a quarterback who ended up certainly not being able to beat out Matt Corral. Um, in at Ole Miss, but he was good enough athlete to, to log a significant amount of snaps at receiver there. And he's also a baseball player in the SEC. So 
I mean, the guy's a terrific athlete, and, and you know, I think he's rushed for 400 or 500 yards right now so far. I think he's their – if he's not their leading rusher, he's one of their leading rushers. Um, so, you know, you kind of have an idea what Gus wants to do offensively, and that presents a challenge into itself. I do like the fact that they're not a team that hangs their hat completely on the pass. It seems like that's where we've struggled the most um, here recently, whether or not that was against Pratt and Tulane, even UCF. Uh, got some big plays on us in the in the in the throw game, so um, I, f- I feel good about us being able to stop the interior run game of uh, of everybody. Um, and and UCF's no different. But the one thing is, Gus has always done a really good job of protecting his, the edges uh, defensively in the um, in the run game, whether or not that's with zone read or the horizontal stretch game or uh, things of that nature. But, you know, the thing that jumps out statistically with them is how well they're playing defense. And, um, you know, the, the guy who's the coordinator, I think it's Travis Williams, uh, he's going to be hotter than Texas Chile come uh, December uh, when some of these bigger programs start looking for defensive coordinators because some of their numbers – uh, particularly with how well they've played red zone defense, really, really jump off. But it's also, you know, they're five and one, but you know, there is a question of, of who they've played and how good of a schedule it's been. But when your average scoring margin is 42 to 14, it does cause you to raise some eyebrows. So the Pirates have got their hands full uh, Saturday night. Jason, would you look at the standpoint, they have not left the state of Florida this year to play a football game. They've had five of six home games. How much of an advantage do you think that can be for ECU on Saturday? It all depends on part nation, to be honest with you. If if, if the non-casual fan shows up and we figure out a way to get a solid 44, 43,000 people in there and people stick around and realize there's ebbs and flows to the game, um, that's my concern because that's that's our job as fans. I mean, at the end of the day, we're all fans on this podcast. And uh, you know, that support carries so much as far as the adrenaline and momentum for those players. Um, and I'll just say this. I, I really do think they're the best thing we've played to date. I mean, if you watch them, you know, we talk about the schedule, this, that, and the other. But they just they just jump off. They, they, they've, they've kind of been like a, a silent uh, – assassin in NCAA football right now. Nobody's talking about them, and they are really, really good. So we're going to find out really quick on Saturday night how good we are. Do we match it well or, or how how good UCF really is? And hopefully it's the, 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 the latter, to be honest with you. It is unusual for them, you know, because they've had, obviously had a bunch of great teams since, you know, Scott Frost came back. And even going back to the Georgia Leary days, you know, before it went south on him, uh, they always had a lot more hype. And, I, you know, they actually – they had great years where the hype was deserved. But, you know, they, they a lot oftentimes got overhyped on years that they were, you know, nine and three, eight and four type teams. You know, this seems to be the best team they've had um, probably in a while. And, and it's like you said, they're kind of laying under the weeds. And I think some of that's, you know, the success Cincinnati's had. They've kind of become the darling – um, of the league, at least. And then Houston, of course, got all the preseason hype. But you know, right now, this looks like the best team in the AAC, um, at least maybe balanced team when you start factoring in the offense and defense. I think, you know, to me, Tulane's playing the best right now on the defensive side of the football. But um, it's going to be a heck of a challenge. And we got to start, we got to win games at home. I mean, you look at it, you lost, you lost the Navy at home. Um, in a game where you have the better football team, in my opinion. I think if you play that game 100 times, I think East Carolina wins 90 of them. Um, and then, of course, the NC State game, you know, State, I, I realize they've lost uh, Devin Leary, but that's not as good of a football team as everybody thought they were going to be. And, um, you know, we, we've lost two games that we should have won at home. Now we need to win one that, you know, we'll be a, a, a big underdog in. Well, you talk about, about the media coverage of UCF. If you think about it, the Sun Belt's kind of become the darling of college football. But when I watch those games, and, and you know, it, shame on me for saying this, but I think UCF would just roll through that conference, uh, barring injuries, things like that, because they just they look elite right now to me. I mean, look at what Old Dominion did to Coastal, and ECU put it on Old Dominion. So, I mean, I feel like the top of the American price still – 
better than the Sun Belt, although the Sun Belt for sure is well on its way to being a very, very good conference. It already is. So um, I tell you what, guys, let's take a, a quick break. And uh, on the other side, we'll dive into some of the matchups in this game. We'll talk about how ECU can contain John Rice Plumley. We'll also discuss how ECU can score, if they can score, in the red zone against the number one red zone defense in America. So we'll be right back on the Hoist Colors podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, welcome back into the Hoist of Colors podcast. I'm joined by Jason Tindall and Brett Hickman. We're breaking down. What to expect Saturday, a big game between East Carolina and the UCF Knights. And guys, we got to start with when UCF's offense is on the field and we have to start with their dynamic quarterback, John Rice Plumley. Super talented, super athletic. I mean, there's no doubt he can spin it and he's basically a running back as far as speed, faster than most running backs in the country, to be honest. He's a 4-4, 4-5 guy. Uh, I was looking at some of the stats earlier. He's broken almost as many tackles as UCF's top running back, Isaiah Bowser. So even if you get guys on him, he's going to make you miss. One thing I do want to point out, he has fumbled five times. Uh, So I do wonder if that's an area ECU can exploit. Um, But, you know, seven touchdowns rushing in the air. He, He can throw it deep. I did notice, and I pulled up some of the numbers from Pro Football Focus, and Short and intermediate throws, he can be very inconsistent. And downfield has been very hit or miss. So he's actually, you know, they do a lot of stuff horizontally at the line. Gus Malzahn, typical offense. A lot of those passing yards are really jet sweep runs, that sort of stuff. Um, but I guess the 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 way you have to approach this is you have to make him a quarterback, make him beat you from the pocket. But the, I'm assuming something like that is easier said than done, right, Brett? Yeah, it's a lot easier said than done. I mean, Gus has moved the football for a long time doing it. Um, you know, I've always – when you start talking about defending somebody like Gus's offense, um, I, I liken it to the fact like, okay, I want to go out to eat for a steak, right? Do I go to a steakhouse where I'm going to get a good steak uh, or do I go to Applebee's who just kind of makes a little bit of everything? Um so, you know, from a from digest by say that, like you're never gonna be really good at offense having an Applebee's offense where you try to do a little bit of this, you try and do a little bit of that. Gus has always been a meat and potatoes kind of guy. So it starts with uh the run game and the horizontal RPOs and what complements that best has always been the vertical passing game off of the play action. So the biggest key to me for for ECU in this game is to limit the run plays. Uh, you know, you got to stop him from being able to run the football, and then you got to keep the ball in front of you, and you got to make him win in the intermediate passing game. You know, whether or not that's, um, and and we've had some trouble with some of this. You know, whether or not it's the dig routes and uh, the mesh concepts or whatever it is that have turned into explosive plays for for breakdowns in the secondary or somebody losing a man or whatever the case is. But uh, if they're running for eight yards a pop then you've got to get safeties involved. I mean, this is the old adage, right? You, they, you start getting safeties up, and that's what Gus wants you to do. And, and uh, most of his passing game where it's been successful traditionally has been, uh, you know, putting safeties or whoever flat force defenders are in conflict, either with wheel routes or with uh, skinny posts or with, you know, vertical concepts. So got to keep the ball in front of us in the run game, got to keep, 
you know, uh, Plumlee from from getting loose in the zone read game, and then just gotta make sure those receivers don't get get behind because what you don't want to look up is the guy's fifteen for twenty three, but he's thrown for two seventy, you know, because every completion's a twenty five. Uh, 20 yard gain. If you, if you can, you know, make them 15 for 23 and he's thrown for 160, you know, you've got a pick or so, you know, then you're doing your job uh, in the pass game. Yeah. I mean, I think there was the, the Georgia Tech game. He threw for less than 100 yards and they were still able to win just because of the, the running game. But I think that's a scenario ECU would take. Georgia Tech held them to, to less than 30 points, I believe, or, or somewhere around that mark. And um, Jason, tackling in this game, for me, is critical when you talk about the the horizontal game, the jet sweeps, all the speed that UCF has. I feel like if ECU misses a tackle in this game at the wrong time, it could be the difference between winning and losing. So how important do you think that is Saturday? Well, first of all, Coach Hickman used the Applebee's analogy. So I'm going to go <laughs> with uh, our more seasoned pirates will know this song and this group. Uh, Molly Hatchett back in the 70s had a great song, Flirting with the Disaster. And if we don't, if we're not able to come into balance and get our arm, you know, wrap up and get get multiple, you know, black, I guess black helmets this week to the ball, um, it's it's going to be splash plays. And like Brett said, we have to minimize those extra yards, whether it's somebody coming free in in, in a zone coverage, or if it's you know the first defender who's there in position doesn't doesn't at least slow down the 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 offensive player for UCF and allow his teammates to rally and, you know, put their hats on the ball. It, it, it's going to get ugly quick. I mean, they're, they're, you think about it, they're outscoring people 248 to, to 86 right now. I mean, there is, there's a reason for that. They're, they, they, they score the football. And um, my biggest fear is, is the quarterback starts getting out of the pocket and starts making things really tough for our, our second half. Uh, you know, our, our deep half players to make a decision on what they want. Are they going to cover? Are they going to come up and, and, and limit the run by the quarterback? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is you look at the running game, Plumley averaging 5.4 yards per carry. Bowser is more the powerful guy from Northwestern, the transfer. He's been there a while. He's only averaging 3.5 yards a carry, but he scored nine times on the ground. But then you got the two speed guys, Johnny Richardson averaging seven and a half yards a carry. They'll line him out and do the jet sweep with him. R.J. Harvey, who missed last year with an injury, he's averaging eight and a half yards per carry. Similar speed guy. They'll use O'Keefe, their receiver. Same type of deal in the running game uh, with motion. And then they got out wide a transfer from Alabama, uh, transfer from Auburn. They got a tight end who catches the ball. So, I mean, they just have so many weapons, and it's going to be a tall task. I mean, Blake Carroll's going to earn his money um, on Saturday. There's no doubt about it. Let's flip the coin to the other side of the ball, guys. Um, I got one more note yeah. on that. I, Go for I, it. I do. This is kind of the game within the game. We've had a lot of success against the inside run so far. You know, playing the tight front with a head up nose, and and then the the two you know basically defensive tackles playing inside those tackles, and that's really good because it. I mean, it screws up their double teams. It screws up your gap schemes or whatever. Keeps linebackers free. But where it is susceptible is the pass rush, which we haven't been getting much of. And it's not great against the quarterback run. So, you know, by nature, um, do you see a little less of that this week to kind of help you with the quarterback run? But now you're turning into having to do something that you haven't done the rest of the year. Yeah, that's the catch-22. Do you try and make uh, UCF left-handed, if you will, by playing – you know, defensive ends a little bit wider to force the ball to kind of force feed the ball back into the B gaps um, and to the A gaps as opposed to juxtaposed to what we've been doing all year, which is clog up everything in the A and the B and send everything sideways, you know, because we've been able to outrun a lot of the people we've played. You know, the, the idea of the tight front is to spill and kill, spill the ball outside and then kill everything and rally and ball. But now, once you try and funnel everything in, now you got to be able to hold up at defensive tackle. You got to be able to hold up on double teams more because, uh, and that's not something our guys have had to do all year because the tight front by nature keeps those double teams away. So, um, going to be interested, you know, just a, a real quick key for our fans to look for okay, where are we playing? Um, 
you know, these defensive ends and these D tackles? Are they lining up inside the tackles? Elijah Morris is going to be inside, right? We know that. But where are we lining up these other guys? Are they going to be outside the offensive tackles? Or are they going to be inside of them? Um, you know, because that kind of gives you an idea early in the game what what Blake wants to do. Does he want to make our team left-handed or does he want to make their team left-handed? Because something's got to give there. Yeah, and you know that UCF sees it on film, and if ECU comes out in that front, they'll at least try to attack it or see how ECU reacts to the quarterback run or more of the outside runs. Uh, flipping to the other side of the ball, guys, we talked about it earlier, UCF's defense, uh, very sound. They don't blitz a ton. Uh, they play a lot of man coverage. They drop the safeties back. They don't give up too many big plays. And they do give up yards between the 20s, but they are elite in the red zone. So let's start there, uh, pulling up some of these numbers. They're the number one red zone team in the country. Uh, you look at it game by game. So UCF this year has has seen opponents enter the red zone 21 times. They have given up five touchdowns. Uh, three of those, or four of those, excuse me, were, or three of those via the run, two of those via the pass. They have turned the ball over three times on downs. They have forced three fumbles. There's also been two missed field goals. Uh, they've done a great job of keeping teams from the end zone. It happened last year. We saw ECU, Keaton Mitchell fumbled at the 10. Uh, and then also there were multiple drives that were stalled inside the red zone. So, Jason, if you know, you you know, I guess UCF will blitz more in the red zone, according to Donnie Kirkpatrick, and, and watching last year's game, I remember that. But if you know that you kind of go into this game absolutely having to execute in the red zone when you get it down there, uh, just how important is this? How, how much time do you think the coaches spent on red zone this week in practice? Well, it's the key to the game if we can move the ball, but like you said, between the 20s and get down there. We have to have our our set of plays that the players are comfortable with that we can execute. We were ex executing well during the week in practice that allow us to execute our, you know, inside that restricted condensed field. Um, obviously, they do a really good job of talking and communicating on the back end and probably up front as well. Because um, that's the way you play elite red zone defense because the field's condensed and you have to be able to pass people off. Or if you're playing man, you're, you're not, you, you, you do not allow yourself to get picked, things like that. And um, with the, uh, you know, inside the 25 and Brettonism, talking about there's, there's certain routes that work well inside the 25 and there's others that work well inside the 10. And you get inside the five, there's routes that work. But then if you're, if you're covering down on all those, now you're opening yourself up for, you know, a, a buffet of run plays. Um, the, the key is, do, do we shoot ourselves in the foot with a, you know, when we're down there? Can we convert? Can we keep the ball moving forward? And, and you know, if, if we do stall out, can we get that three out of out of that that trip down there? Um, I, I, I just be honest with you guys. Um, we talked about this before. That that makes me really nervous right now because we've been pretty good in red zone as far as scoring the football, but we haven't been really good in red zone as far as our, our special teams play. So if we can clean that up after the momentum from last week with the, uh, with the change at kicker and snapper, um, I feel a lot better about it. And two, and I think, I think UCS going to score in this game. And I think ECU is going to have to score. And I almost wonder if you get in the red zone, do you almost look at it? And, you know, in many cases, obviously the situation four dictates down. it. Yeah. Four down territory, you know, you got four down to get 10 yards or four down to score a touchdown on first and goal to go. So, you know, do you see them be a little more patient with the run? I, I don't know, Brett, what are you looking for in the red zone when you when you kind of break this thing down? Oh, to me, that that's where your process and play calling starts to happen in third and five. You know, if you will, you know, then you, then you might run it or you might focus a little bit more on a quick game than your traditional third and five where, you know, you got to get it. And I, I think that to me, Coach Houston's been thinking like that the last couple of weeks because of our kicking bugaboo. Um, you know, we talk about last week down there, do you score, do you not score? I think the reality is, is he made that decision because of, I mean, gosh, guys, we're 14 for 20 on PATs. Do you really want to leave the game up to a uh, – do you really want to leave the game up to a 20-yard field goal? So, yeah, you – you know, I don't, this isn't a game where you're going to hold UCF to 21 points. So the more you're down there, you know, we get touchdowns. And five for 21, that's not just best in the country. That's as good as I've ever heard 
Like that's unbelievable how good they've been in the red zone. So, you know, you got two, you got two real options down there, in my opinion, because number one, the field's condensed, like Jason said. So uh, to even out the numbers, because people are naturally closer to the line of scrimmage is run your quarterback. Well, our quarterback's playing on one shoulder right now. So that's kind of hard. Uh, it's kind of hard to suggest that as a, as an option. Uh, granted, I've not watched the red zone cut, cut ups like Donnie and the rest of the offensive staff has. Um, to me, man actually helps us down there because we've got two guys who can go up and win, which we, you know, we, we haven't had. You know, you've, you've seen fades to Isaiah where we missed the throw last week, but then, of course, we threw the slot fade to CJ um, down there, um, you know, going toward the schoolhouse over there um, in the end zone away from the Murphy Center. Uh, last week and, and missed one to Isaiah earlier. But, you know, we've got the fade balls. We've got a lot better chance of those. Those are not necessarily 50-50 balls if the ball's thrown on uh, target because of those guys. Um, if they're going to play man, now, you know, they might be a tradition. They might become more of a, a what I call a red seven team where it's just the red zone bracket that everyone else in the country plays uh, down there, which, you know, makes the fade a little bit harder ball to throw. and um, you know, whatever. So, you know, I haven't done the deep dive into it, but uh, players versus plays, right? Players versus plays. And at, at the simple case, it's just going to have to come down to um, can we hold up in protection and can hold and make some of those one-on-one -on -one throws to uh, Isaiah and CJ that have been really good to us so far. I will promise you this, uh, looking at their schedule, they ain't faced two receivers like those guys who can win in the red zone. So um, and I feel pretty confident that those two guys, the way they're playing right now, are playing at a high enough level where, where they can make some hay uh, against anyone in the country. So, yeah, Steven, can I start a little eight hoist the colors uh, um, drama here and say, do we see some Mason Garcia down there inside the five where it's 11 on 11, you know, where, where it's really tight? So I, I just had to throw that in there because I love watching the banter go back and forth. But at the same time, if you're a defense coordinator and all of a sudden he's in there, you realize your your call, your call sheet changes a couple of plays. I mean, it, it really does because he can take it and he's a big boy, he can run. So I'm just throwing that one out there for uh for discussion. I mean, if if you got three games to to use, I mean, if you if you if you can't get it done in the red zone early in the game, maybe you resort to that. But you know that that Donnie's head would be on a spike if it doesn't work. <laughs> just gonna let y'all know that. In my humblest of humble opinions, the Holt Nailers pony is getting rode all the way to the end of this year. And that's whether or not some of us like – I mean, I love the kid. The kid is a freaking warrior. And uh, anyone who questions that. But he's not getting benched. There is no quarterback controversy. He's going to play every snap if he can hold up physically. It, stop putting it in anybody's mind. It ain't happening I, I just had to throw that dig in there because i want to have something to read tomorrow during uh between zoom calls at work and just some stuff to shake my head about and enjoy i can't wait for mason garcia to run out there in the first red zone trip and and text you guys about it so that'll be good uh i'm looking at this box score guys for georgia tech ucf because i, I looked at this the red zone stats georgia tech five trips to the red zone zero points Zero points. But you look at the rest of this game, I guess if you want to implement an opponent's plan against UCF, you would try to do Georgia Tech. They outgained them 452 to 333, equal time of possession. They held John Rice Plumley to 49 yards passing. He did run for 100 yards. Um, you know, again, I, I haven't broken down this game film, but like if Georgia Tech, which is not very good this year, in my opinion, can, can at least put themselves in position to win at UCF. I feel like ECU has a chance. Like UCF is very good, but they're not this unbeatable juggernaut. And so to me, if you can execute in the red zone, you can, you can change the game. So I want to, I want to ask uh, Brett, Brett's so much closer to the game than you and I are now I go. So um, what, what's your take on that? Is, is it really a schedule situation and they're just playing hot and, and, and loose right now? Or do you think that, you know, it, it's it's more of a, or are they that 
are they that talented and people just around the, the nation just aren't noticing at this point? It's probably a little bit all of the above, in, in my opinion. The one thing UCF's always had is what I call spurtability. Like, a game can get away from people because of their ability to score. I mean, they 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 ain't running out four, seven wide receivers. You know, they, they ain't got a kid on their roster playing wide receiver or running back. They didn't run him four, five, or sub below. And when you got guys who can score every time they touch the ball um, – you know, that that's how the game gets away from you. But they hadn't played a great schedule either. Um, you know, I, I will have a better idea. But, guys, they played two lower-level ACC teams in Louisville and Georgia Tech. And Louisville beat them. I think that's right. And yeah. Georgia Tech played them uh, relatively well, you know, outplayed them within the 20s. So, you know, it's like any time you play a good football team in, you know, this is Lou Holtz 101, you know, two things that remind me of, of old, old coach holes having worked for Skip for three years is everyone says, well, why did we suck against Navy on offense? Well, or why did we stink for five quarters first two lane, but then we look great for three quarters against Memphis? Number one, you coach a different team every week. You believe that people get hurt, somebody's girlfriend broke up with them, whatever. Such such case in point. So you got all that. So you know, don't expect this. Time. Well, this is going to be a different team on Saturday than we've seen all year. I hope it's the best one we've had. Could be the worst team. I'm talking about us. All right. The other thing is, is that every game comes down to seven critical areas. All right. And you know, that's turnovers. It's kicking game. It's explosive plays. It's red zone, it's third down, uh, it's missed alignment, missed assignments, penalties, and then it's, you know, kind of the intangible factor of whether or not the team flinches or whatnot. So, you know, this game's going to come down to limiting explosive plays, how many we can generate. It's going to come down to turnovers. It's going to come down to red zone, and it's going to come down to third downs. And if you take it, you know, that's where it comes in. This is not some unbeatable opponent. You know, we've beaten people that are that are that are good before. And uh, you know, they're they're better than Memphis. You know, I'll say that they're better than Navy. And they're, you know, but the the talent wise, they're gonna be as talented as anybody we've played, uh at least offensively and then defensively, probably outside of NC State's front seven, they're the best group we've played there as well. Before we get into our picks to click, just want to mention the kicking game. Similar situation to ECU, although they've been better in the kicking game. Daniel Barstow started the year as their uh, as their number one kicker. Uh, I don't know if he's injured or what, but he's kind of their veteran guy. He went 0 for 2. He has since been replaced by freshman Colton Boomer, 7 for 7 on kicks, uh, but n- and three for three, 40 to 49, but he is a freshman kicker. This will be his first time kicking in like a road environment. Um, ECU, we all know the kicking game, guys. I mean, look, there was a change finally made last week, and so we'll see how that continues to uh, to play out. Brett, you are a, a former special teams coordinator, so I, just, I do want to get your your take on the record here. Like, what is, uh, you know, what's your take on special teams? I don't even know if we've had you on in season, maybe I, after the NC State game uh, at some point? I, I haven't been on during the year. Um, I mean, it is – I don't want to say anything wrong. I mean, it's hard to put lipstick on a pig. Uh, in fairness to the kids um, and the coaches, the last couple of weeks we have shown some signs of life. We've had a couple of good returns uh, in the return game. The punting's been better. Um you know, obviously the, the fourth and nineteen call. I, I'm not in. I don't see uh, the fourth and nineteen fake punt call. I'm not in there watching the tape every day, guys. So uh, it was an interesting call. You know, I probably not something that hindsight that Coach Houston would do again. But um, who knows? But yeah, I mean, it it would be uh, unprofessional of me to call anything on our PAT field goal team what it other than what it is and it's been a disaster i mean it, i mean we every time we go out there we've dropped we've we've dropped snaps we've missed extra points we've given up leakage in the middle um but i heard coach houston say something i've never spent so much time uh 
watching PAT field goal. So, I mean, I'm sure they're working on getting everything corrected. And last, uh, last week, um, you know, was a sign of, was a sign of things better, hopefully. And, uh, you know, hopefully Owen can reset and become a factor because the kids made big kicks before. Um, but, you know, we, I think our special teams in general, you know, when you start talking about the six units probably hasn't been that bad across the board, but it's been so, um, losing the Navy game, the way we lost it. And then of course the NC state game and, and even missing kicks, it was, uh, you know, it's, it's been, it's been an issue and hopefully the, the situation at the end of the game last week, um, where, Memphis has one timeout left, and um, I, I think anybody who's kind of game managed before kind of understands right there. You don't want to score on first down, right? You don't want to, but I don't think Mont Coach Houston wanted to leave the game up to an extra point, essentially, which is what that would have been. Um, and uh, you know that tells you all that you that all that you need to know right now on on where that feels, but. Uh, it's been getting better. The punting's been better. We've gotten good returns, and you know, hopefully, it doesn't bite us again, and it can be an advantage moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to see another game come down to a kick, but hopefully, if it does, at least there's there's different personnel in right now, and so we'll see how that plays out. But uh, let's hey, let's hey, just hey. let's just beat UCF by forty. One of the, one of the cool things is uh, my group goes down to the Murphy Center and eats before the game, and 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 you would be amazed at the number of Pirate fans who stand up on that terrace during pregame warm-up and watch the snappers, the holders, the punters, and the kickers. And it's kids, it's ladies, it's dads, it's Pirate fans, and it's, it's because it is such an enigma right now, and it's something we, we have to correct. One thing I will say, and, and Brett, you might have noticed this, and I go, you might have noticed this as well, Outside of the first return, Josiah Hatfield's not far from breaking one. And that's, yeah. nice. that's nice to have that back there because people have to start spending time on that during the week, during preparation time for special teams, because if he makes one person miss, the pirate fight song might start playing about the 45-yard line. He's got that kind of speed. So it's interesting to watch that happen. And like you said, there's been some good returns in the punting. It's been good. Malik's been good in punt return all year. Been knock on wood solid. So, you know, it's it's not fair to just say, you know, special teams is not like an offense and a defense. It's six different individual units. So the the conglomeration of of you know, or I guess the the failures of the of the PAT field goal team or the the problems of the PAT have, have kind of said, okay, our special teams stink. Well, you know, we've been solid in most of them, but you know, the P the PAT field goal team is the most important team in football, guys. It's the only time somebody takes the field and points are on the line every time. It's the only it's the only spot in football. So the PAT field goal team obviously gets magnified, and then the punt team is is the second one. You know that I think you got to. Uh, spend more time on and, and Luke's hit a couple better ones, you know, the last couple of weeks. And, um, you know, I, I think the first game kind of set the tone for uh, what the fans have focused on the block kick that basically gave state a short field touch or did they score on it? I can't remember, but they blocked a punt. And then of course we missed the kicks. And then, you know, we have the leakage problems against either old dominion or, or uh, Campbell or whoever it was. And then, Drop snaps. I mean, guys, I, I I let my judgment get the better of me on a Saturday night. I went back and West Bromley High School in 2019, we did not miss an extra point. We didn't have a drop snap. We were 46 for 46, and we're playing major college football, and we've missed six so far. I mean, that that's not good. You know, let's, let's call it like it is. So, um, hopefully the personnel changes will help, and um, – We'll continue to work on getting it fixed so that if we get in another situation in a late game, we've got a little bit more confidence uh, that our guys can deliver. Well, ho hopefully in Greenville we run out of lipstick and there's no more pig for that, so we have to stop worrying about that and we can start yeah. knocking them through like it's supposed to be. Because like you said, Brett, 
in all my years with JV and varsity combined, we didn't miss that many extra points. And we're talking about JV high school football. It's basics. Yeah. I'll say it again. Basic, basic, and it's effort and execution. And focus. Bingo. Uh, hi, we, we, this has been uh, Brett Soapbox along with Jason Soapbox. I, I've talked about it enough, so I had to get somebody else on to talk about it. I'm passionate about special teams. If I, understand, I understand. I understand. Right. Special teams. Can we get right. more Ron Stubblefield? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think Spalding would be a good holder or Stubblefield, but yeah. I guess they're trying to register If anyone wants to actually, I'll do a video clinic on the <laughs> operation of holding Hey, I'll get my the, boys. I'll get my boy Joe. Hey, Joe's a little busy right now. Guy was an elite holder. So I'm gonna call Carol White and have her come out and do a clinic for us. Uh, I'll pay Kicking for it. Guru Carol Wright. Yeah. Carol I'll, I'll White. do an NIL uh, a deal through. Um, I'll call Ryan Robinson tomorrow. Say the money's on its way. It might be necessary if if this continues. But hey, this has got to get fixed. Good. Yeah. Uh, good. We're we're sending good vibes to the team. Uh, this is gonna be the last time we talk about it all year. Knock on wood. Um, all right, guys. Picks to click. Let's start offense. And, you know, we can use this as kind of a, hey, we think this guy's going to have a big game segment or this guy has to play well for ECU to win. Uh, offensively, we'll start with Jason. Do you have a player in mind who you think is going to have a big game or has to play well Saturday? Uh, I think uh, I, I don't know if yeah, yeah, you're good now. You're good. I right, go. Yeah, good. So I'll say it's not one player. It's the front five, the offensive line. If we can hold their athletes off and give Holton a chance to, to slide in the pocket, move around and make his throws. We've seen what happens when he has a little bit more time. He's, he's pretty daggone good folks. When, when he has a chance to scan the field, he's made some mistakes, but so if you look at the people ahead of him in the stats nationally, They've made those same mistakes. It's just been at key times, that, you know, which amplifies itself as a pirate. But if 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 Shank's group comes to battle and they they you know they put their big boy pants on Friday uh, Saturday night, we've got a chance to win the game. Avery Jones said Tuesday that the offensive line did not play well against UCF last year, and he he kind of made a comment that they're taking that personal. So I will be interested to see how that how they play on, on Saturday. Uh, Brett, how about you? Do, you? do you have somebody in mind? Yeah, I mean, the easy answer is always the quarterback. I mean, this team ebbs and flows with Holt Nailers, but uh, I'm going to go with Ryan Jones, a team that lives and dies with man coverage. You know, tight ends going to get matched up on, on linebackers or, you know, small nickels or safeties, and uh, Ryan's a great athlete. And I uh, haven't really seen him down the field much. This might be a game to get him going down the seam. Yeah, it feels like we haven't seen the Ryan Jones game this year, you know, uh, and I feel like it's going to happen at some point, whether it happens this week or not, who knows. Um, well, we're getting that from CJ. Yeah, you're you right. Know, in the slot, which is, you know, it's still happening, and you just saw it more from Ryan last year, but um, but maybe this is the game he gets going because, you know, man, man coverage, they might match up and move corners inside a little bit, you know, to give you a little bit better cover guy on CJ. But they're not going to do that with a tight end. So, uh, you know, see if Donnie and the staff can can uh, exploit that. I'm going to go Holton Naylor's. I mean, I was I was actually going to go Ryan Jones, but uh, good pick. So, you know, Holton, he's got to play good. He's played good for most of the year. It's just been those – those one or two mistakes against the good opponents that have hurt ECU, and it hasn't only been Holton, but you know you can look at the Navy game, you can look at the first half versus NC State, you can look at Tulane, the pick in the end zone. He's got to avoid that big mistake against UCF, and I think ECU's got a good chance to win. Uh, defensively, uh, who you guys have in mind? Defense is always tough for me because they play as such a unit and they play – you know, they, they rotate so many guys. But, uh, again, Jason, we'll start with you. Any Anybody come to mind? Yeah, 100%. Um, two groups, and it's, it, you know, it's Captain Obvious for everybody who goes to the game. I mean, it, 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 you could my, – my mom could pick this out. Can we get an edge rush or a push up front? And can we, the back four, make sure there's not people just running free down the field on, on the, the money downs? I mean – 
it happens sometimes on second down. There's a good play action. You know, it's it's, a, it's kind of one of those in between downs where the, the call sheet's not great for a defense coordinator. It's also not great for an offense OC. And you get somebody running down a seam or something like that that comes free, and you clean it up, and you you go back to first down and start over. But uh, lately, it feels like we're 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 trailing people too much, whether zone or man. Um, and we've got to clean that up really quick. And UCF is going to hurt us really fat, you know, uh, quickly if we don't take care of that business. And it start you know, again. It goes back tying the bow back where I'm talking about. You can run any coverage in the world if you want. To, you want if you got some dudes up front who are going to pin their ears back and get after it and make make Plumley make some plays um, with his feet, but also clean him up when he starts scrambling around. Brett, how about you? Uh well, you know, going back to that tight front, kind of already loosen up and have to play a little bit more even front and widen those ends out. Uh, that puts more stress on the interior D line. So, uh, you know, let's go with that group led by Elijah Morris, the, the nose tackles and the and the defensive tackles. If they can hold up uh, against some of those double teams and and with the ball getting funneled back inside, if we can. Uh, you know, kind of by scheme, keep the ball from getting to the edge and hold up. And, um, you know, I feel pretty good about our inside triangle. You know, our inside backers have played well and our, our interior D-line have played well. So if the ball can be funneled and played between them and they play well, i got a chance to slow them down on defense. I'm going to go with Jeremy Lewis. He's had sacks each of the last few games. And I, I remember last year against Desmond Ritter, who was probably the best athlete at quarterback ECU faced. He did a great job containing him, running him down. He's probably the best overall athlete on the ECU defensive front. Um, and I think he's really the only guy that can chase Plumley down uh, if he has an angle on him. So I think he's going to have to play a good game on Saturday. All right, guys, prediction time. Um, I've gone back and forth on this one all week. So I, I'll let you all go first. Uh, <laughs> and uh, – I don't know. I feel like Jason's typically the most optimistic, so we'll start with him. Um, so kick us off, Jason. Get the good vibes going. Well, I'm just I'm a, I'm superstitious, so I think that's different and optimistic. Um, I'm also realistic. Um, we, we've got to play play really well. We got the ball. You know, the old coach's cliche: the ball has to bounce our way a couple of times. We got to make some plays that maybe we haven't made in the first seven games. But we're going to be five and three exiting this game. It's going to be 34-31 ECU. And damn, behold, whoever's downtown celebrating after that game uh, this come Saturday night. Brett. Right in the way, man. I mean, the kid, the kid's got to prove he can beat us for the pass. We've been solid against the run all year. I think Blake will have something for him. We we haven't struggled as much with tempo this year as we have in the past. So I think the defense is going to play a little bit better than people think they are. Um, you know, we, we just got to score in the red zone when we move it. You know, I think that's the key to the game. But I think, uh, guys, it's hard going on the road in the league, and it's really hard when a place like Greenville is your first trip of the year. Pirate Nation's got to show out. They got to make it a great environment. I'm going Pirates by six. Man, I, <laughs> I should have gone first. Um, I, I really want to pick UCU to win this game. I had it as a win in my preseason pick. I feel like they're due to beat UCF, but I, I just can't do it, man. I'm going Knights 35-28. I think Somebody they might give Igo a seat on the Gus bus. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like I just got to see this team – go out and win a game like this. I think they can definitely do it, but I want to see them do it. Um, and I, I want to pick a man. I do, but I just, I think UCF's just really good. I think that they're a lot better than I thought they'd be. And it's going to take a tall order. They're going to have to avoid the mistakes. They're going to have to make the key plays. So I'm going UCF by a touchdown, but Hey, two out of three y'all picked ECU. So that majority rules, right? I will tell you this last year when that game ended, I had a bunch of people at my house watching it, and I turned to my friends and I pointed my finger in their face and said, we will beat their ass next year. And that's exactly what I said the previous year after the Navy game, and we went up to Navy and won. We're due a big win like this at home. So the key is, and I'm just going to say this to everybody who listens to this, 
if you are a purple and gold and you're a pirate fan, get your fanny in the stadium. And the, the key is for East, ECU fans to show up and do their job on Saturday night. You know, enough of the finger pointing and complaining about coaching this, that, and other. This is a huge game and the atmosphere is going to make a big difference. So hopefully Pirate Nation shows out and, um, you know, we continue to carry the torch as far as the uh, whatever the group of five means uh, attendance record. Yeah, I got engaged with some uh, UCF fans over attendance smack. So that was uh, that's always exciting over social media. But um, hey, I, I you know I I do feel like before we wrap this thing up, like ECU fans, like the casual fan, they just put too much stock in the NC State UNC game. Like this is. This is as important a game as ECU has had in a long time. And, and Blake Carroll made a good point at his press conference. He was like, we, he was talking to his defensive players. He was like, we have a chance to go win the biggest AAC football game in Dowdy Ficklin Stadium history. And as he said that, like I was racking my brain, I'm like, you know, he's right. This would be probably the best single American athletic conference victory since the pirates joined the league in 2014. And that, you know, that says a lot. So if you can't show up for that, I get 730 is tough. You know, I, you know, look, I, I got a little one now. I understand going to 730 game as a fan will be extremely difficult, especially if you're driving from out of town. But definitely get there if you can because it makes a difference. Um, but, guys, it was great to have you all back on the podcast. If only the people knew uh, how many times we had to resend the Zoom link to get through one of these Uh they would truly appreciate it, but I know you are busy. So um, thanks as always. Any any final thoughts? I know you just made yours, Jason. Uh, Brett, you want to you wanna lay down the, the smackdown to anybody? Oh, I mean, UCF Twitter, they're legendary, man. Like, they will come at you hard. But here's your final reminder. You're still a commuter school. There you go. Yeah, you can't have 70,000 people enrolled and not be a giant commuter school. It's uh, like a shopping mall. That's what that place looks like. Great the, environment, though. Great environment. Got nothing but love for the Bounce House. I, we I'll played there this. on a Sunday night in 2018 or 2008. And, you know, another thing, talk about kicking. Freaking uh, every East Carolina fan thinks of Ben Hartman. They think of Ar the Arkansas Liberty Bowl. Ben Hartman made more freaking big kicks in his career and anybody in the history of East Carolina football, you know, and they made a huge one to beat those jokers down there on a Sunday night. Uh, believe it or not, that was this Sunday night after Texas Tech beat Texas. Wow. As we watched that game from a, uh, a Michael Crabtree catch, we watched it from the hotel um, in uh, Orlando on a Saturday night. I'll say also that their press box sucks for anybody that cares. And while they do have a good atmosphere, Brett, their stadium is an absolute joke. The fact that it's just all aluminum it's, and you feel like you're going to die. Set. It's, yeah. it's a seriously, a, it's a very, very large high school stadium. That's what we, it we is. Need, we need 20 more minutes talking about barbecue, though. Oh That's my true. God. Did we not get to yeah. that? Why have we not talked about this? We got to talk about barbecue. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Final five minutes, I promise. Um, no chance I'm getting through this in five minutes. <laughs> All right. So uh, I'm younger than you guys, but for me, as far as Greenville barbecue, look, I like Parker's. I respect Parker's. And I'm talking just the barbecue here. Sam Jones, number one for me, as far as in Greenville, I know that obviously they're related, you know, Skylight Inn, same deal. Um, yeah. And, you know, I haven't had Mission Barbecue yet in Greenville. I've had it in another city, and I enjoyed it. So I think that, honestly, I'd put that ahead of Parker's. Bee's Barbecue has to be near the top. But, I mean, you also lose points when I have to wake up and, and go to your establishment at 10 a.m. to get some barbecue. Uh, so those are my power rankings on Greenville, North Carolina Barbecue. Any any thoughts on Gus Malzahn's statement about he's a brisket guy or he's not a barbecue guy but he'll eat some brisket or something like that? <laughs> Gus Malzahn puts trashy Waffle House in his body after Saturday nights. Okay, that's his thing, right? Doesn't he go to Waffle House? So, like, I don't care anything about his food choice. And I, Waffle House is fine, but, like, you don't get to act like you know anything about football when that's what you eat for a post-game meal. Uh, number two, this is a shout-out to my current boss, Bobby Lamb. 
he we go recruiting me and Coach Chevry, our other defensive assistant. We're going down to Athens, and he's from Northeast Georgia. And he says, "You got to go. Uh, you got to go to this place out here somewhere in the middle of nothing. Got great barbecue, whatever." We go there, total trash. Okay, maybe a three point one. Um, and he's like, "You know, you guys, what what do you know about barbecue?" He made fun of me because I told him that the place didn't have hush puppies. Like I guess in Georgia, they don't have hush puppies with. Has anyone ever had barbecue in That's North an automatic without fail. Hush, yeah. Without hush puppies or without at least corn sticks. You know, you got to have one or the other. So, like, this guy knows nothing about barbecue. So, I've had to educate uh, our staff the last couple of weeks on the difference in Eastern North Carolina barbecue, uh, which is very similar to low country barbecue in South Carolina. Kudos to Donnie Kirkpatrick this week, by the way whose wife is from Lexington, they're very serious about their barbecue. I would never tell my wife something so personal. Like, I mean, you tell somebody from Lexington that Eastern North Carolina barbecue is better than them. I can't believe he's still married. Um, So kudos to him for having the guts to say that, even though it is better. Lexington barbecue, very good. Mustard-based barbecue is not barbecue. And Midwesterners say we're going to have a barbecue, but they're out there talking about hot dogs and hamburgers. So, like, Eastern North Carolina barbecue is the best. We know more about barbecue than everybody else. So everyone else, Gus Malzahn included, needs to shut up. He doesn't need to talk about barbecue. And the next time he needs to say, uh, yes, I like their barbecue, whatever. And I saw the dumbest suggestion I've ever seen this week says we need to have Gus Malzahn and we need to throw barbecue at him. Do not waste good Eastern North Carolina barbecue on Gus Malzahn this week. Eat it at your tailgate. Take it in with you. Eat good barbecue. There's my barbecue soliloquy. I miss it so much, guys. Shout out to Joe's Barbecue in Whiteville, North Carolina, also elite barbecue. There's a couple of speechless. Yeah, there's a couple things I want to touch on there. Number one, Western style barbecue is uh, grade B sloppy Joe's. All right. Basically. Number two, I got a few more barnacles on my pirate ship than you guys do. I'm a few years older. We used to slay some bees barbecue back in the day. And, you know, sometimes we needed it to get through the next day. And sometimes we needed it because it was damn good food. Number three, there was a wonderful restaurant that I believe is no longer in Greenville because of one of the hurricanes and floods, but um, Venner's. And that place, um, it was second to none. If it came back, I would franchise it and I would be a multimillionaire in, from, from, from Nash County down to Moorhead City and across back towards Greenville. So that's what I, my take is on uh, the, North, the Eastern North Carolina cuisine. And you know what? Hopefully send Gus Malzahn back on the bus to the airport and flies butt back to Orlando at a big old thing, a sloppy barbecue. So do y'all have a top rated? I, I don't know. What would be your, if you had to pick one to go to, is it bees for you, Jason? Yeah, like, what about you guys? I like the bees barbecue. I've always thought Parker's was, was good, because, but it's more because of its sides. Mm. I think Parker's corn sticks, and uh, Brunswick Stew is very good. Skylight over in Aiden, really good. Uh, I forget the place that used to be in Goldsboro. Was it Wilbur's? Yep. Another yeah. good barbecue joint. Um, so, but I've I've had a lot. That's been my that was always my Friday recruiting tradition. So I always went and ate barbecue. So I consider myself uh, some type of connoisseur. I'm also growing sideways because of it. Yeah, I would say I would agree with with yeah. Brett. You know, bees, but then convenience was Parker's, and he also had good sides. And then Wilbur's was one that I wanted to call out too. And you know, there are some up in this area towards Raleigh as well that aren't quite as famous, but there are some good spots growing up here in the Apex Carry area. There's a place called OT's Barbecue back in the day when I was a kid. And I tell you what, man, that would make the Pope uh, drive a uh, Harley Davidson down a dirt road. So it was so good. Do, do Raleighites, do you guys claim Eastern North Carolina now? You just want to be so cool like those oh, of us that are actually no, no, from, no, no, no. Like from east of 95? It, it, well, you know, Brett, when the when the 4A state championship game start, it happened, or the 3A or the 2A, it, it's, it was Raleigh over. So it's Eastern North Carolina, in my opinion. So, yeah. We, we'll I'm gladly definitely... take it. I mean, like, my wife is from Raleigh, and I met her in Greenville. Well, she's from Cary, but it might as well be uh, Wake, obviously from Wake County. So we're all about – uh. 
we're all about establishing our uh, Eastern North Carolina roots within our uh, within our growing family. Well, you tell her I was an Apex graduate and we were 4-0 against the scary wimps. So that's all I got to say. She went that. to Green Hope, which didn't exist back yeah. in the Stone Ages. Yeah, they were terrible for three years. They didn't win a game. I don't think they showed up for th- half of them. This has officially gone off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we got to wrap this this thing up, boys. Uh, hey, it's been fun, though. Um, you know, before we know it, we'll get another countdown clock from Zoom. So let's go ahead and wrap it up now. Uh, but appreciate uh, you guys for taking the time. And hopefully after the game, we'll be recapping a pirate victory. But uh, it's been fun as always. Uh, for Brett, for Jason, I'm Steven. Thank you guys for listening to the Hoist and Teller podcast. the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place while you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day, in the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus.